This is the Home Service Expert Podcast with Tommy Mello. Let's talk about bringing in some more money for your home service business. Welcome to the Home Service Expert, where each week, Tommy chats with world-class entrepreneurs and experts in various fields, like marketing, sales, hiring, and leadership, to find out what's really behind their success in business. Now, your host, the home service millionaire, Tommy Mello. Hey there, welcome back to the Home Service Expert. I'm excited that you're here today. We've got a guy, his name is Steve Gadsby, and he's been very, very successful in the furnace and HVAC business. He actually sold his company recently, and uh, he's the co-owner of Canada Furnace, which is recently sold. They were recognized as one of the best of 2016 and best of 2018 winners by homestars.com, and they grew into a multi-million dollar business, right around 10 million. You know, they started out around 70,000, and his goal is to tell you everything he's learned over time in hopes that hopefully you, you might take, take him up on an offer here that we're going to talk about. So, Steve, I'm excited to have you here. You're in uh, British Columbia, right? Uh, yeah, near kind of Vancouver, maybe 45 minutes out of Vancouver. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate you bringing me on the podcast. Very, very small correction. We, we, grew, we grew to about 5 million in sales. Oh, five million. I love big numbers, and I just don't want to overstate anything. Hey, you know what? I'm <laughs> sure that there's a million listeners out there that would be glad to be at $5 million. And it's not as easy to grow into that big number of $5 million. I mean, any way you look at it, $5 million is $5 million. Even if you're getting 10%, that's half a million dollars a year. And that's, that's a great living by anybody's means. So tell us a little bit about you know, when you got started, how you got into the business, and kind of what you're up to today. Yeah, the, the, very, the very start of it, I was 27 years old, and uh, it was actually a company my family had going way, way back, but it was sitting dormant for about 10 years. That's why, you know, it, it had a great name, but it was just sitting there doing nothing. Like, it was just sort of, thankfully, the number never got shut down. Thankfully, you know, it never completely died off. But in 2006, it did $73,000 total in kind of total revenue. That's just kind of passively the phone kind of ringing once in a while. But, you know, I was, uh, I, I was doing fine at that point in time. I was working in HVAC. I was doing, I was being a service contractor. I was a contractor for like other companies basically, which gave me a super, you know, kind of like a base because it's almost like you're a business. It's like the in-between category of being an HVAC business and, you know, and then not being an HVAC business. So I went out and, uh, you know, I, I was selling furnaces and all that kind of stuff, but I wanted to make the leap into having my own company. So. I ended up buying the business. It was stressful at the time. Um, I paid 500 bucks a month until it got to about 40 grand was, was sort of the deal to buy the business. And, uh, which I was actually like stressed about at the time because, you know, 500 bucks a month, I got a mortgage to pay. I got, uh, things that I was worried about. You know, it was like a stressful, even that little bit was kind of a stressful amount of money. So I just kind of started down that road and, and I, I did something funny. I, I did quit my contracting job because I was so worried about getting the next, getting the business going. So, you know, I actually dragged it as long as I possibly could until it was just crazy until I couldn't handle it. So I'm not on side of the people that say, you know, jump ship and burn your bridges and all that kind of stuff. It's, I think it's a bit too dangerous for, for my life anyway. But, and then I don't know, I had these delusions that uh, <laughs> I would just start a business and, uh, you know, I would uh, let the world know or let like 10 people know that I started a business. And I thought somehow magically the phone was going to ring like the $73,000 that did in revenue really amounted to nothing in profit. Like the, the business made absolutely nothing. So I needed to kind of figure out some way to get it going. And, you know, I was sitting there basically, I'd quasi quit my old job. I was, you know, I rented this little 10 by 10 office cubicle. And, you know, I tried a newspaper ad that was a total fail. You know, that was a big swing and a miss for that. Cause I thought, Oh, this is easy. Just put a newspaper ad and do it. But after a while, it came down to, I just was sitting there with myself in a phone book and I just started opening the white page and calling people. And I would just very nervously say stuff like, hey, uh, Steve here from Canada Furnace, uh, blah, blah, blah. We were at your house. You know, we've, uh, or, you know, I started calling old leads that were dusty old 10-year-old leads and that didn't go very far. So I started randomly calling people out of the phone book. And sure enough, I, I actually was able to set up like one service, one little service call. And then I went to the service call and I was much better at in-person sales than I was over doing over the phone. And that one service call would lead to, um, you know, a referral to somebody else or it would lead to, hey, your hot water tank is 14 years old. Are you interested in replacing it? So then 
you know, my $69 call turn into a thousand and sixty nine, and then, you know, then I can get a referral to the neighbor and, and very, very slowly. That's kind of, that was the very start of it. So, so you know, real quick, I'm going to go off the topic, but what, what do you do to ask for a referral? Because I think that when you own a business, you understand how powerful that is, but tell me your best way to get that referral and really be able to work on getting multiple referrals from one customer. Yeah, you know what, I would say I'm relatively terrible and I've never been very good. I got a ways to learn about actively getting referrals. The referrals, I think, just came from, I was just, you know, I'm just 20-something years old and I'm excited to have a business. And, you know, I thoroughly went over it because, you know, I'd go out and I'd have two jobs the whole week. I'd have a total of two hours booked out of a 50-hour week that I needed to work. And I, I gave everything into it. I, like, did a great job. I just, you know, talk, spoke well with the customer. And I think that just naturally turned into leads. Like, the referrals would come more in the sense of I get a call the next day from his neighbor or something like that. So they're more kind of like natural referrals just from from being very upbeat and, and into it, I guess. So. I'm telling you, I get ideas as I go with this stuff. I love the fact that you t had two jobs a week because you got to take a lot of time. I think a lot of us have the problem of our guys might run seven, 10 jobs a day. HVAC, I mean, depending on repair or, or if you're going to do a new quote, sometimes we give way too many opportunities to our techs and they have no incentive to slow down because they're like, I'm going to work an eight-hour workday, nine-hour workday anyway. I got to get to my next job. Why would I squeeze the... Uh... It is. That is really tough. And, and, and that was a... Even as a, even as a, the owner of the company, and that's the course where it eventually got to, where it was this nonstop, you're backed up like I was doing, say, eight sales in a day, or if I was on a service day, I'd be doing just a eight or ten service calls in a day. And even as the owner, which my incentive is, is ten times more than everybody else, it was still tough sometimes to just take a break an upsell, but you're right. When it's slower, you're hungrier and you want it more and, and just you sell better with a bit more time. Yeah. I definitely want to dig into that more. You face a lot of challenges, right? You're the only guy. Okay. So obviously you didn't have any employees. You got a, you got a rent now that you're paying for and you really don't have a solid lead source except for referrals, which you seem to get good at over time. Tell me a little bit about the biggest nerve wracking parts of growing Maybe to that $1 million mark. Let's forget the $5 million. You know Let's talk about just getting the ball rolling. Yeah, a lot of like, guys out there are still one-man shows. Yeah, like to be honest, the, the toughest part, um, especially at the very beginning, was dealing with self-doubt, was dealing with myself. Like, you know, my entire brain and emotions were wrapped around whether I was profitable one week or whether I was getting that work or it was just dealing with this, this kind of juggernaut. And, and thankfully, I read a book around that time it was called feeling good. And uh, the whole concept of it was what you're telling yourself, you know, the things that you tell yourself, you know, so let's say I'm about to go into a sale and I'm telling myself things like, no, this is impossible. You're not going to be able to sell this. And it basically just teaches you about how to kind of fight back and just sort of say, yep, it is possible. You're going to be fine. Your business is going to grow. It's sort of, it's a way to sort of get around crappy thinking. But I would say that was my biggest challenge was getting around the self doubt when I was, when I was kind of getting going and growing the business. And the problem is it's front loaded. The, the most self doubt is at the very beginning, right? That's when it's scariest. But you know, the biggest challenges on a, from a business perspective and the biggest things that I struggled with was delegating, right? So I was, I was an absolute maniacal <laughs> uh, micromanager of people, right? So um, at first, I was the one doing the telemarketing. I'm the one going out doing the sales call. I'm the one going back the next day putting in the hot water tank. Like it was just, everything was about how I wanted to do it. And the jumps started to happen when I backed off, when I said, okay, you know what? If somebody else can do this, do these outside sales, make the phone calls, then that frees me up to do something else. And then as soon as I had enough service work, then I delegated that off. Even if somebody could that first do it 50% as good as I could, the moment that, you know, I delegated off, they start to learn and grow and develop themselves. And, you know, by the time, you know, I sold the business, I, I'm, I say this proudly, there was nothing, there was no job in the entire company, um, except for probably running it, that somebody else didn't do better. There's people that were selling better than I did. There's people that were doing the phones better, people that were doing the, doing the computers better, like everything. There's people that were way better than I was just because I let them grow and develop, but it wasn't easy at first. I wasn't a natural delegator, and and I, I think I learned to be over time. Yeah, delegation is very powerful, and I hear that a lot. 
Steve, I hear people say they're never going to do it as good as I do. And I think that's a huge problem. And somebody says, I hear this all the time from managers. If I don't do it, it's not going to be done right. And you're right. It won't be the first time, but that's your problem with delegating. I mean, delegating is an art and there needs to be certain qualifications. And I think that some of the listeners out there should realize you need to talk about here's what needs to get done. Here's why it needs to get done. Here's what you have available to get it done. Here's the priority assigned to it. When it needs to get done by when you're going to check to make sure it got done properly. What are the consequences of it doesn't get done? And then some feedback on top of that, because most of the time people don't do the job right because you didn't clearly give them exactly what you expected. And they didn't even understand because you were the one that explained it, not them. Yeah. My sort of philosophy towards it changed over the years. And, you know, at first I was like a, you know, trust but verify type of person. And over the years, I just found, I just hired the best possible people and went through a lot of people to find them, just hired essentially rock stars, people that I loved and I trusted and just did an absolutely spectacular job. And I really wouldn't need to watch them because they cared about the business as much as I did, but it took so many years to find these people. And, you know, I, I think I was a terrible person at hiring. Like I would, I would hire too flippantly. Like I would just sort of bring somebody aboard. I would, uh, you know, quickly and then go, Oh God, there's a whole bunch of problems uh, with, with these people. So, but you know, one good offshoot of that is that I would find these gems and I would keep these people very, very close to me and, and they, they became the core of the business. Like, you know, yeah, it's tough to do that. And I think the people are definitely the most important part of it. But I think the process dictates how you get the people. And there needs to be a defined process. It can't be so many people I've talked to say, uh, I spent a lot of money or I, I posted an ad on Craigslist. I put an ad on Indeed and I only got three people that applied. And I look at the ad. It's kind of like a resume. You know, I had a buddy just text message me today. He said, Tommy, I just spent 200 bucks for somebody who's a specialist to make my resume look amazing on LinkedIn as well as on the web. And what that is, is Google, you know, just like Google does, there's keywords in a resume that make it pop out to, I'll say a white collar type professional. I mean, in our trade, the resumes to me don't mean as much as I look at how much are you flipping over jobs? If you're only at a job every year you're switching and I look at it as 10 pages of 102 jobs, it's not really interested. I'm not really, really too interested in that. So when it comes to the people, I was just going to ask what you, uh, what you found when you were looking for people, what, what are some of the things you looked for? You know, it, it's just so interesting that, that you said that about, about how, you know, it's almost like you're posting this like big long resume thing. I, I went hardcore, like this is a pretty tough labor market. There's actually a total lack of tradespeople and, and a lot of other, a lot of other skills. It's just extremely low unemployment rate, so it's tough because it makes it tough to find people. But I went completely the other direction by the end of it where the, the ads that I posted to find people were essentially sales ads. Like, I was selling these people in the ad to give me a call. <laughs> like, I would post things like, you know, we have an amazing team. We're going to give you a phone. We're going to give you this. It, it wasn't like trying to vet them out. I wasn't trying to limit them. I was trying to get the biggest you know net I could find to, to sort of get more people in. Yeah. And you know, that's one of the things I find as I get bigger is people start, if you got a good referral program. And then another thing that we've started that I think is probably the most successful thing I've ever done. And I know I talked to a lot of companies, Steve, that, that are doing way more money than I'm doing. And they usually have what's called an apprentice program. And they start them out at around, you know, between 10 and 15 bucks an hour, depending on the state. And then slowly over time, over the first few months, as you prove yourself, three to six months, you move up to a junior technician. And usually that's a higher hourly or, or a commission base. And then you move up to a lead technician or a journeyman. And then you move up to a field supervisor who keeps track of about five guys. And I learned this from a consultant, Al Levy. And, and uh, what I did is, as I started to learn it, I found that the companies that are really doing it do not have a shortage of workers. and it's a great program. And like I said, I got to give uh, credit to Al because he taught us a lot about that. And uh, it's something that exists in the HVAC plumbing electrical world, but doesn't exist in the garage door world. And we've started to implement it and really breed that into our culture. And it's a lot easier to find somebody that's looking for a career that's in their late teens, early 20s, 
that's not molded ah. into a certain way. And uh, they've done really, really well with the program. I mean, all of our guys have done really well with the program. But uh, it's interesting because I used to oversell our company on the people, but then they come back a couple months later and they're like, it's not everything I thought, you know, like, you know, yeah. and then they, yeah, that's true. I'm like, you still got to work in a hundred degrees in Arizona. I mean, there's, there's certain things yeah. it's got its perks, but it's, it's got its limitations too. It's, I can't control when garage doors break. So if it's nine o'clock at night and you're the emergency call, this isn't a nine to five. And some guys think it's a nine right. to five and they're going to get cell phones and trucks and we're going to pay for gas and insurance and pay time off, which is fine. We do a lot of this stuff, but if you want a nine to five, a desk job, then that's fine. You can go do that, but that's not what this is. And I, I definitely think the biggest problem I hear from most of the people out there in small business is how do I get good help? And that's why I kind of wanted to beat on this a little bit because it sounds like you were able to, to solve that problem. Yeah. I mean, the best thing again, that came to solving that problem was an internal change. And it was, I honestly would consider myself the first three years of business. I was just the worst boss. I was horrible. I, I, you know, I had this expectation or I had this weird delusion that I would hire people and they would just do what I told them to do because they wanted a paycheck and then they would go home. And then if they, you know, like in, <laughs> that's not how it works in the real world. You know, people are people and people are very diverse and you know, they got personalities and lives and stuff and everything else. And, you know, I had a big switch. I kind of had like a low point and I remember I was years in the business and I called everybody into like a breakfast meeting and just everybody sitting on the table. They're all talking amongst themselves. And I was having a real hard time being like a leader to them. Like I couldn't get them to do what I wanted to do. But looking back, I was a bit of a dick, to be honest. Like I was like, I yelled at people if they didn't do it. And for some reason I expected that would create loyalty. And it didn't, it just made them maybe work great for the next 10 minutes. And as soon as, you know, I'm out of the room, they're going to, they're going to do whatever they want to. And I read this book by a fellow named John Maxwell. He's this um, leadership. leadership um, Leadership coach. I don't remember most of the book, but I remember the key point. And the key point was, you know, the more you legitimately care about your people, the more, the harder working and more loyal and dedicated they're going to be to you. And that was, and over time, at first I read that and it didn't really sink in. And then like three months, a few months later, I started to, to sort of think, well, how am I going to do this? And I started to find the little things that I appreciated about what they were doing, like anything I could find. Say, hey, that's a great job. And I started to compliment and just give kind of a positive reinforcement and get started to, help and it it just kind of evolved in this thing where the the best people i was just constantly every day telling them all the reasons that i loved what they were doing and it was a real shift in culture and it created much higher quality employees because i think i had a great relationship with them yeah you know sometimes i think that i'm guilty of that i don't think there's a business owner listening to this podcast that says i could not give more praise to the people because so many times I feel like if you're anything like me, and I think you are because we're both business owners, you end up being a firefighter at times and you're dealing with problems. And sometimes you just got to take a step back, take two steps back to take 10 steps forward. And I think that it needs to be one of those things that's on your calendar that literally you get done. And I, I mean, even times where I set it on my calendar, I still get distracted at times, but this is going to be my time to just go. It doesn't need to be a raise or it doesn't need to be a gift card. It could be just, uh, hey, look, you are kicking butt. You know, come talk to me for 10 minutes. Tell me how these things are going with the family. But what what's changed with you? Like, all of a sudden, you're happier. Yeah. Your call booking rates are better. You're smiling. The, everybody's mentioning how, how delighted they are to be around you. And, I mean, that goes quite times further than any other gift could ever go. Although raises are great. Look, everybody wants money. That's why they go to work. But they also – I heard a weird stat that 87% of – workers feel underappreciated and that doesn't surprise me. And it's, it's, it's a culture. And, uh, I think we're always, always, always working on our culture. Oh, a hundred percent. And you know, and, and having a lot of field employees, and it sounds like you got a ton of them. That's actually tough. It's field employees. Um, like, you know, there's obviously the separation between office employees and field employees. And I, you know, office employees I find are generally a little bit easier to manage. It's just, a, it's like a different, like a different sort of a, an office culture compared to like a field culture. And you got to manage a whole pile of field employees. You got to be good. Like, I mean, there's, that's a lot of challenge. It took me years and years and years to sort of get better at that. But it came to a point just because, you know, again, the labor market was so tight and, and everything else, but where I would, 
strive to always say something because some of these guys you only see them every couple few days and if i saw them in person i would strive to say something positive at that point in time about anything they, they've done in the last you know few days since i saw them like try to have something positive on every single interaction and i didn't always hit that but i think it just kind of created a very positive sort of it, it, i mean other guys want to uplift other people too it just everybody's supporting everybody else yeah that's so important and i i'm glad you mentioned that is it's so important to take the time and i think one day i uh and I talked about this about six months ago on the podcast, but I told every one of my technicians, if they go buy them, the wife's flowers, I'll reimburse them. And oh, one, of, one of the guys asked me, why do you want to do this? And I said, no reason. I said, just see what happens when you bring your wife flowers or a girlfriend flowers out of the blue and then bring me the receipt and make it under 20 bucks. <laughs> do not buy a bouquet. But, uh, uh, only five of them did it, but they were like, geez, they're like, we got to do that more often because it's amazing the result that happened because of it. And I think the, what do they say? Happy wife, happy life. So it made wow. them feel a lot better too. But it's just those little things, those little actions of gratitude that make a huge difference that uh, I'm glad we talked about that. Let me ask you this. There's always a down season. So I live in Arizona. We got snowbirds and being from Canada, I'm sure you know what those are. They, they come here for the winter. They want to get out of the cold. And I'm from Michigan originally, so I've been up, I've been up to Windsor, and we used to go to Canada all the time, Toronto. And uh, But in the winter, we like to go to somewhere like Florida or Arizona. So we have, in the summertime, it's kind of our downturn. It's, it's hot outside, and there's not as many people with money. Uh, and obviously, in an HVAC company, the, the HVAC doesn't get used during the winter. The furnace does. Tell me a little bit about the highs and lows and how you manage to keep your employees busy during the down season. One of the, um, like, I mean, when we were real early, it was just, it was a single season, you know, it basically it was all about the fall and the winter because it was just, a, it was basically a heating company. And then over time, we developed, of course, uh, the cooling side of things, which eventually we did more cooling in terms of total revenue than we did actually on the heating side of things, which is crazy. Which, you know, because we're called Canada Furnace, uh, you think you think it was, you know, we'd be the other way around, but eventually we did more more cooling, but that left two dips. And the dips, I would say, there's a little dip after Christmas, everybody's out of money, but the more significant was, say, March, April. That was a pretty big dip annually, and then you're kind of out of that, you're into the cooling season. Then there's another dip, say, like around September. So there's kind of two dips, but one of the things that we did well, we kept a list ongoing all the time. It was this big, long spreadsheet of things that we wanted to improve in the business. Just nonstop things, you know, you name it. You know, there's, there's always a continual list of different problems and stuff you're trying to resolve in the business or fix or, you know, uh, whatever it is in, in, a, in a thousand different areas. And the moment it would slow down, we would, and it's not easy to do, but you just shift your focus completely to working on the business instead of working in it, which is, of course, that famous guy's book, I forgot what the name of the book. E-Myth. Um, it's the E-Myth. Yeah, E-Myth, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the moment it would slow down, and but this is the amazing part, and, and I connect it to, I, I believe in like the, it's hard not to believe in like the feng shui of business, I'll call it, which is sort of like, you know, if you work very, very hard in your business, just great things happen to it along the way, just that you weren't necessarily anticipating. But the moment that we shifted our focus to working on the business, and we basically, for lack of a better term, told the universe, you know, we want this, we want more business, we're working on our business. The moment we really started to dive into working on the business, more work would just sort of come out of the blue, like stuff we weren't expecting, like, you know, some big project would come along or something would pop up. But, you know, whether those things are connected or not, I don't know. But, you know, we completely shifted our focus to working on it and just got everybody helping out on working on the business, you know, knowing that we were probably going to lose money that much, which didn't happen very often, but it happened very frequently. But it's just sort of working on the business and shifting the focus to that helped, I think, grow the business at the same time. Yeah, that's a great point is I've learned to love it and hate it, work on the business, not in the business, but nobody really has given an example of how to do that in less than a paragraph. And for me, you need to look at certain key performance indicators within the company, and that's your call booking rate. There's a lot of them. Financial, financial ones are, you need to watch your inventory. You need to make sure you're paying your taxes on time. And there's QuickBooks or different CRMs that handle that, but that's not my passion. My passion is your call booking rate, your average ticket, 
uh, your average cost per acquisition, real, real tracking that you could look at these numbers for real. And that's kind of what I specialize in when I help a company out and I don't do a ton of consulting. I mean, I enjoy it, but first thing I say is, do we both agree that I'm here to help you? Right. First of all, yes. Do we agree that I might not be smarter than you, but I've done this and I'm going to find the holes in your business and I'm going to help you resolve them. Okay. We agree. So just like my trainer holds me accountable to go to the gym and do what he says, if I say yes, and I signed up for this, that we both agree on this. So that's first and foremost. Number two is we've got to have some type of software systems to make sure that we're getting the accurate numbers because I'm going to find the biggest hole in the boat and that's the first one I'm going to fix or else it's going to sink the quickest. So let's find the biggest hole. And a lot of these companies, they just, they assume that it's not an issue. They assume that they're getting a lot of leads. They assume that their ads are perfect on their uh, different spots are posting their, their ads for workers. So I've been very successful at finding big holes. And I always think that a consultant, if you're going to do consulting, you should say, I'll bring you 10 times more value than my cost. That's at, that's at the bare minimum. So sometimes when I work with people, they've got burned a lot in the past because a lot of people are wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. You paid me. I'm gone. You didn't listen. I'll, we'll, we'll try another time, but you're going to pay me more. I think that's, the wrong way to go. So I just think it's interesting to work on the business. Like what we do is we've got a bunch of KPIs and then we get, we go on Trello and we put our top five biggest things that's going to help the business the most. And the whole senior team of the company works on those five things. Right now we just switched our payroll company. We're working on a new inventory module. I'm a marketer. So all mine are always in marketing. So I got to give and take. I'm always working on, crazy marketing and sales ideas, but, uh, the operational guys, which I forced myself into, but I don't like it. And I hate financing and I hate not financing, just the finance department and the accounting and the CPAs and all the crazy stuff, you know, but, uh, what part of the business did you love the most? To be honest, it's the marketing part of it. That, 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 you know what? There's two parts, marketing and sales. And and the sales is kind of funny. It's sort of like going to the sale. I'm always like, oh, I got to go to a sale. And then once I'm in it, I'm like alive. I, I like, I love being in the moment, in the sale, and just and just sort of having a great conversation with a customer, leading things towards closing the deal. Like I, I actually love it, but not when I'm not in the sale. <laughs> and the other part that I love is, it's just the marketing part of it and doing things that other people aren't doing. And I think that was a huge boost for our business over the years, just jumping into things that other companies aren't um, comfortable with yet, I think gave us a big advantage over time. So. Yeah, you know, let's jump into marketing because I don't think this podcast would be complete without me diving into marketing since I love it so much. And I, I think you made a great testimonial to me earlier about your search engine optimization days and now you're starting to get more involved in Facebook as well and you do a little bit of paid which we all have to do uh, let's talk a little bit about what did work for your business let's talk about online and offline yeah like the earliest thing that started working for as well of course you know once once I got past uh, individually telemarketing leads which uh, you know once I kind of got past that point the, the thing that started Google search. So it was called AdWords. It's called Google Ads now, but AdWords back in the day, because I think we were the second HVAC company in all of Greater Vancouver even doing them. So there was, there was virtually nobody. And on most keywords, we we're the only bidder. So, you know, like furnace repair, you know, Burnaby or some surrounding town, it was like a dollar. It, it cost virtually nothing to bid in the keywords. And now those keywords are, God knows, 20 to $50. You can't make money at it now. And if I realized how great the opportunity was back then. I should have taken out a huge loan and dumped everything I had into AdWords at the time because it was so cheap. But now the cost over the years has been driven up. Like the first year in AdWords, I think I spent $2,000 on AdWords and that created a bunch of business. So by year 10, it was like over $50,000 and AdWords is just chewing everything up. But it's, it's tough. It's, it's, it's almost because it helps the business, but it also gets extremely expensive, especially when they're not converting. So AdWords was, was one of the early ones before a ton of other companies sort of got involved in it. One of the earliest things we did this probably 2007, 2008, and I was very nervous about it at the time, and I was absolutely terrible at it, but I forced myself to get out there and just make about 10 or 12 videos 
answering all the common questions that customers asked us on YouTube. So, you know, like stuff specific to our market, like what is poly B piping and how does it hurt the boiler system? And, you know, why is my bedroom so hot? Uh, and just these silly little videos that we got asked about quite often, we put them online and over time, at first it was like, you know, 10 views and then 100 views. And then over time we had like hundreds of thousands of views. And for, if most of those views came from the greater Vancouver area, that's crazy because, you know, it, it just means, you know, a lot of those people end up finding us. And the most amazing thing happened is somebody sees you, you know, at their house at a sale after you've done this silly YouTube video that was like a very low budget and was, you know, you did terrible at, suddenly you're like an authority when you're at their house. So YouTube videos actually worked very, very well for us. And then, uh, and yeah, and it's the same thing I'm doing with my, with my next business too, is just, just launching as many possible YouTube videos as I possibly can. But from there, we went to Facebook. And again, we're in Google kind of before other people, mostly because I was probably too broke or too cheap when I started to get into Yellow Pages stuff. That was crazy expensive at the time. We got into Facebook. I'm almost certain we're the first HR company in, in Facebook. We're probably four or five years ago, and it was just, you know, it was such an unknown thing. Why would you put something on Facebook? You know, now it's more normal, but back then we're super early and again it's super cheap if you if you get into something before other people are comfortable with it it's cheap 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 like i don't know now maybe instagram i don't know if there's, there's another platform that's kind of upcoming that's an equal opportunity but now the costs are getting driven up now it's probably you know 20 bucks per thousand impressions whereas back in the day that might have been god knows 20 bucks for twenty thousand impressions i don't really remember the numbers but it's, it's a lot more expensive now but yeah you know the first couple things that are working so it's good to be an early adapter and it's good to test. And I'll tell you what, I did a crowdfunding campaign with a guy. It took us 32 different tests to find the best conversion. So a lot of people say, I tried Facebook. They hire a company. Hey, I tried it. It didn't work. Hey, I tried Google. It didn't work. Hey, I did mailers and that didn't work. And I'm sitting here going, thank God it didn't work because you're not going to be my competition because... If you yeah. did have it work, so now what I find is I go in all the mailers, everybody copies me. I open it up and it's like the same exact coupons, the same exact, I put my picture in the ad, they put their picture in the ad. It's like, holy crap. Yeah. But I'll tell you this, Google, Instagram, all these different companies are doing supply and demand. So it's a bidding process. And here is something that uh, needs to be known. He who could pay more per acquisition will always win. And the reason why that is, is look, I've talked to companies that do HVAC plumbing and electrical because they're in the house, they're still on a service agreement. And the the customer, they realize that the lifetime value of that customer might be $30,000. So if they look at it as a five-year hole, they can pay a lot more and they're forward thinkers. The problem with a small business that has one, two, five employees they go, I need to make this week's payroll and I can't bid that much. They were never set up to be a large business and they can't compete. So the best thing they could do is not go after PPC unless it's going to be long tailed. They could go after SEO, but they're not going to be able to compete with a guy like you or me because I'm doing blog posts every day. I'm getting very high quality links. I'm working on quality score. I'm working on on site optimization. I'm building different types of links through our different things like Yelp and directory sites. I'm also putting all kinds of video content and I'm also posting on house and I'm also, cause I've got the staff to do it. So Google loves yep. me more. That's just the way it is. So exactly. You're just a content machine and you put on more content and Google eats it up. And they love that. And I'll tell you what, not a lot of companies are doing this in the home service space, but the big ones are, and that's why they became big content is king. But there's another thing that I found that I really want to talk to some of the smaller guys out there, and that's strategic partnerships. And it makes a huge difference. I met with a uh, drain cleaning company two weeks ago, and the guy said, you know what my number one referral, do you know how we built the business? 60% of our jobs come from plumbers. I said, what do you mean plumbers? He said, Tommy, we take some type of telescope and we put it through the tube and we find any blockages. It's an upsell service that we give them a referral rate to, you know, they're going in unplugging a drain charging four or 500 bucks. We're going in and charging them five, 10,000, but given we're fixing everything. So their drains will work for the next 30, 40 years again. And I said, that's amazing. You figured out how to do partner marketing. And he goes, yeah. And he goes, that's not the only ones we use. 
And he goes, they've got all these partnerships. And for me, I put storage uh, solutions in. So I teamed up with moving companies, the bottom rubber on a garage door. Guess who uses that? Pest control companies. There's so many realtors. Guess what happens? They want the house to look good when they sell it because of curb appeal. Garage doors matter. Painting companies. Why would he let me give you a $100 referral fee rather than painting this old piece of crap? The, the paint job will look so much better by replacing the panels. And I'll do it very affordable and make you look good. So I feel like it's the most untapped resource in the home service niche itself. Oh, like that. that is a good idea. It's something that we never really got into. Or we're good at anyway, but I think that's a great idea. You know, it's one of those things that it drops off a lot of times because people don't follow up, but it's one of those things that you got to commit to. And I think the biggest thing we could take out of this is you committed to Google and you succeeded. You committed to Facebook and you're killing it. And I think a lot of times people say, I tried that and it didn't work. I tried the newspaper. I tried the magazine. Yeah. No, you're dead on. It's, it's a nonstop learning curve with either of those platforms. Like I've been in them for years and it, it's still complicated to me. Like, you know, there's still a lot to learn and, I mean, they're really geared towards like a major company that has an unlimited budget to sit there and just work on Google or Facebook all day. It's that that's who they really want as clients. People who drop a million dollars a week into the platform and, and it's, you know, the, the complication level kind of reflects that. But, you know, if you're able to kind of figure out all the different features on it and, and really dial it in, it's, especially for a higher ticket thing, like you're selling something like, like you mentioned earlier, if you look at your cost per click, that's a really interesting point. Like, cause you know, let's say your cost per click is $20 per click. And let's say only, you know, 20% of those people are actually coming to your site. That costs you a fortune to get that service call. Like it, you might break even on it, but it, it's interesting. If you look at it from a long-term perspective for the client or like over the course of that, of that customer's life and you treat them well, that's a whole different kind of set of math. So interesting. Yeah. And I think that you got to look at cost per acquisition. I talked to a plumber Monday and you're going to love this. He said, Tommy, he said, it cost me $40 per hour for my plumbers. They're journeymen. They got 10 years plus experience. And I said, okay, $40 seems about right. I said, okay, let me ask you this. And then he told me, Tommy, he's only working a third of the time because he's driving there. He's getting parts. He's going to our meetings at the office. He's not in the customer's house, but a third of the time. You know, and I said, okay. So he goes, what does that equal? I said, 120. He goes, yeah, 120. And he goes, how much do you think it cost me to get to that house? I said, I don't know, maybe a hundred bucks. He's like, yeah, so we're at 220 per hour, right? I said, yeah. He goes, how much do you think I pay per parts on average? I go, I don't know, for a plumber, maybe a hundred bucks. He goes, yeah. So now we're at 320. He goes, how much do you think I pay for the overhead to get him out there? The truck, the CRM, the dispatchers, my management. I said, probably around a hundred dollars. He said, yeah, so we're at 420. And, uh, he said, do you think I need to make a profit? Do you think I'm in business to make a profit? I said, yeah. I said, how much do you want to make? He says, probably about 20%, right? He said, yeah. So I need about 80 to hundred bucks. So I'm at 520 per hour. And yet all these other business owners, these one man shops are charging hundred dollars an hour total. And they think they could deliver yeah. service like we could deliver. They think they could solve the problems because you know, we're paying for insurance. We're paying for the truck. We're paying for all these things. So most small businesses have no idea how much it costs to get a guy out there unless you are the business. And if you're the business, what happens when you go to Hawaii and that customer's uh, plumbing has an issue? Yeah. And yet they all think the guys that charge more money are thieves. And what he told me is perceived value minus cost of what you charged equals the amount of overcharge that you did. So that means if I charge you 5,000 and you receive it, it was worth 5,000. You felt like you got a good deal and you're happy. But if the perceived value is 4,000, I charge you 5,000, I overcharged you a thousand. And it's all in the perception of the perceived value. Because if I did the roll of the red carpet and I showed up in a wrap truck and I put on the footies when I walked in and I smelled so good and so vibrant and I smiled and my daughter went to the same high school your daughter goes to. And we started talking and you said, and you, you, you literally saw the iPad and I showed you the pictures when we went through the drains and I showed you why our parts are better than the other three companies that are the biggest in town. And I told you we're 24 seven and here's your warranty. And I've got you in our system. You're a preferred client. You go, holy cow, I'm in love with this company. That was an amazing experience. I'm willing to pay for that experience. I mean, that's what 
most business owners don't understand. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, it, exactly. And, and that's, yeah, you're right. I mean, a lot of small guys, they realize after a year that, you know, they're making less than they were making when they were working for somebody else. And it's a tough realization for, you know, just being like, you know, having field employees and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's a very tough industry. Like, you know, if you get all, it's like spinning plates and if you get all your plates spinning just right, you do amazing. And if something's not quite right, you can lose your shirt. You can, uh, you know, very, very tough business. So that's kind of one of the reasons why with my new business, I'm not going to directly employ any field employees myself just because I know how difficult it is to manage. I want to not have that part of my, part of my expenses. So. You know, let's dive into that right now. I really want to hear more. It's got me excited because we talked about this before we jumped on the call. You have a brand new business. You you did well in your, your uh, furnace heating and cooling business. Let's talk a little bit about how you've been able to learn how to market well. And now you're taking this in a, in a completely different yeah. futuristic no, model. No, and that's, and that's just it. It's a question they asked earlier. Like, what parts do you, do you love the most? I love the sales and I love the marketing part of it. So, you know, having field employees is sometimes amazing and sometimes very, very tough. So basically I want to take the parts that I like, have it a business and be able to make it much more scalable because the parts that you can't scale is trying to drive a salesperson out to a house. And my opinion is over the long term, like looking into the future, I think that's pretty outdated having to send a physical salesperson to somebody's house for an hour, sit there over a cup of coffee with a customer for another hour and sell somebody something. I, I don't think the, the customer in a lot of ways is getting a ton of value out of it. And in my opinion, when they can do the same thing on their iPhone or through an iPad sitting at work and by just looking at a couple of pictures sometimes of their of their mechanical room. So that's what the new concept is. It's Furnace USA. And um, we are actively selling equipment. We usually sell it on like a uh, on, on like a monthly plan. So they just pay you know, $99 a month for your, for your furnace and your air conditioner. And then we partner with HVAC contractors all over the state. And that's actually part of the reason I came on the show is because I need great partners all over the state. So plus it gives you more work that you didn't have to market for and you actually didn't have to sell. So let's say you're in Kentucky, which just, I, I mentioned that because I, I need to find somebody in Kentucky today. <laughs> um, let's say, let's say you're in Kentucky, you're, you're an HVAC contractor. And, you know, we all know sometimes HVAC contractors are not great at, or they don't love the sales part of it. That's not really, they're there because they, they like doing the work. They like doing the installs, but let's say they're not, you know, they don't love the sales part of it. So here's the thing. So today, um, I talked to a couple in Kentucky. I don't, uh, I think it's Lexington area. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So I talked to a couple down there, great couple. Um, they want to go ahead with the system. It's just, it's just a basic furnace and an air conditioner that installed. It needs a little, like a little bit of duct work. So I'm um, selling to them on like a, on like a monthly plan. So I will pay a contractor from my bank account to your bank account. You didn't have to sell it. You didn't have to market it. I'm going to just pay, you know, we can negotiate a price so that you make money, you're happy with it, and I will pay you. It's a done job. The job that you don't have to sell, you don't have to market anything. And the benefit I get, I want a great partner that I can work with. Um, you know, warranty it for maybe like 30 days. Give me a month of warranty. And from there, I actually want to pay that same company to go back annually and go and service it. So you know, essentially the customer is, it's not theirs to be concerned with. And that's why I want to kind of get the word out about this because I need to find partners everywhere. And what I want to do is I want to give away every single strategy or thing I've ever learned about HVAC and try to help as many contractors as I can and help them by giving them jobs in return for, I want a bunch of partner uh, partnerships all over the States with great companies. So, I love the concept. concept. Okay, so so let me let me dig into this a little more and understand. So I'm a contractor. I'm going to do the install. What are your pre qualifications? Number one for me, are you looking at Yelp reviews, Angie's List, BBB contractors license? How do I qualify? It's sort of a um, it's sort of a, a nice thing about HVAC businesses and probably a lot of service industries or service businesses. It's very complaint based. Um, so if you do a bad job, people are very loud and vocal online. They will they will give you bad BBB reviews. They'll give you bad Google reviews. They'll give you all sorts of bad stuff. So um, I'm not interested in partnering with anybody that has a bunch of you know. I don't mind if you get that bad review once in a while, but you can see on how they respond to it. If they go, you know what. 
you're right. It was our mistake. We own it, and uh, we'll, we'll be back there tomorrow at noon to fix it. That's amazing. Who cares if you get a bad review? It's how you respond to it. So I just want to deal with people who you know treat their customers great, have great, have great reviews, and you know have all the certifications in their areas. So I think really one of the things that you're going to explain to them, and correct me if I'm wrong, is this is a partnership. So obviously because this is a partnership, I'd like to give you more work. If you end up being one of the best installers, we get great, great reviews and the people are happy. We're going to work really hard to get you more jobs. So it's Hell in your, yes. Yes. but also it's in your best interest that if you sell other stuff to make sure I know about it and do not, you know, last thing that home Depot wants is them to sell something. And then we go in and tell them something completely else and still to sell from them. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, you know, and, and at the same time, oddly enough, we actually are not terribly interested in service work. So, like, let's say they call back the next day and their fireplace is broken or something like that, and you're our person in the area, we'll probably just call you up and say, hey, here's a fireplace repair, you know, go, go make something out of it, bill them, bill them directly. We're, the business model is not geared towards service work. If it's, if, or, you know, or we might, if it's, a, if it's a great service call, maybe take a 10% or, you know, some, some sort of percentage of it or something like that, but... Generally, we're not geared towards service work at this point in time, 2018. So. so so you sell the product, you're shipping it out. Are you the one actually giving the products out to it the... Actually, it actually, it's actually better if we just work with people who have their own connections with the distributors. They have their own relationship. They got their own thing set up. And, you know, people find it a pain in the butt if they got to drive to some new supplier and sort of deal with it from there. So it's just easier if they already have it something you know it's, so i mean consider it no different than as if the homeowner's paying instead of the homeowner paying then we're paying them so to them the process feels very similar except they don't have to worry about the, the homeowner you know stiffing them to the money they don't need to you know worry about selling the job you know or any of that kind of stuff they just got to go install it and get paid so and you know at the same time we because we're doing all the sales for them we're doing the marketing for them we want to get some sort of discount um or you know some sort of great rate because we can deliver them essentially free jobs so makes a lot of sense i really like the concept and i love the concept of the video chat because i feel like that's where the future is going i mean i just got a unit in today I, I think it's to be honest years off before it kind of flushes out but you know like it's still a like it's a 75 year old concept of taking a truck and driving to somebody's house and pulling up pieces of paper and going, it's very, very archaic. Like why, why are we, why are we doing this kind of thing? So, and that's, and that's, um, you know, and I know it's possible to get around that and, and we've had experience in that. And I think it's where it's heading anyway. I mean, HVAC is, is hard to do that, but in some regards, I would say grocers could be, you know, the, the, because I know the best companies that go out there and, it's an experience, but more importantly, they say, Hey, when you get out of the shower in your bedroom and you're doing your makeup, how much does it sweat here in Florida? I mean, how much are you really uncomfortable? And I hear these sales guys literally all the time. I go to all these conventions and their number one thing is we're going to put a bigger return in here. We're going to get way more airflow in here. You've never had the right size return. So we want to redo this. Number two is, do you guys have problems with allergies? Well, let me test the air in here. Let me see where we're at with what you were dealing with before. Number three is, and, and most of the companies, some of the times the big ones make their sales that way, but I do think this is changing. It's becoming more of a commodity. Amazon's getting into space. Amazon's gonna be doing simply what, a lot what you're doing, and, and, and so it's coming. I mean, the fact is. Yeah, like Amazon, from what I understand, is more, is more or less selling leads. You know, are, are they not? Is that more or less their model? Amazon says this, you go online, and you want a five-ton unit. It's called Amazon Home Services. I'm one of the first garage door companies on it. And you buy a, so you buy a garage door opener, a craftsman. And it says, would you like this installed? Now, what they do is they take five companies, which they, uh, they figured out what each company wants to put that in. They take the median, the, the mean, I should say. And that's what they offer. And whoever jumps on it first gets it. It's kind of like, uh, maybe a little bit like Thumbtack, but not really. But the point is, you're just doing the install part of it. And they're basically right. saying, here's the given rate of what somebody's, they're creating a, uh, a breeding ground basically for competition. And when people compete, it's like car loans. If you got 10 car loan people bidding on the same loan, the customer gets the best deal. So it will work yeah. eventually. The problem is nobody understands home services 
especially at Google or Amazon. I mean, they're like, it's just a billion dollar industry. We need to be part of it. But they don't understand the taking care of employees side, the getting the trucks on the road. There's so much human part of, of the business that uh, I feel like they're yeah. going to, they've already crashed and burned a couple of times, both Google and Amazon on the home service side. And they're going to continue to try to figure it out. But I think it's going to be a ways off. Well, and I think if people can get relatively um, something similar in price and it's with, if it's choosing between Amazon who knows nothing about HVAC or choosing between, you know, Furnace USA or A1 Garage Doors for that matter, you know what I mean? Like if you can get somebody who's a specialist and your choice is relatively similar, I think you're going to choose a specialist every single time. And that's where I, you know, I think these companies that like pursue, you know, kind of like HomeAdvisor where they're going after 12 different markets, if you're, if you can choose between HomeAdvisor with 12 different things that they specialize in down to lawn care or, you know, A1 garage doors that just does doors, you're going to use, choose the garage doors place every time, I think. I understand that, but I'll tell you this. People still go to Home Depot, Lowe's, Costco. They still go to Service Magic, which is now Home Advisor, which we buy their leads. It's crazy because people, they're better marketers than all these other, they're better than your average lawn care and HVAC and garage store companies and marketing. And they give a guarantee. And, you know, they'll take you off their platform if you don't do the right thing. Whereas, what do you have as a consumer? The BBB and maybe Angie's List and the Yelp reviews. So they do back up because they're bigger, but. You know, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I'd rather go to a specialist than a jack of all trades. Uh, and I, I don't call a handyman out when I need air conditioning. And you better not call a handyman out if you need garage door work because they're not going to be able to find the problem. So uh-huh. you're, you're absolutely right. So, so if somebody wants to get a hold of you, they want to find out the process, whether they're in Kentucky, Florida, Texas, Arizona, what are the next steps they need to do? If you're an HVAC contractor, just uh, probably the easiest thing is just email me directly, steve at furnaceusa.com, or just go to the website, furnaceusa.com, and just click for as if you're a customer. There's also a contact us page, or there's there's a contractor page, all sorts of stuff. But, you know, it'll get through to me, and, uh, and I'll give you a call right back. But I'm looking for great partners all over the country. And like, like you said, Thomas, if somebody, we find somebody in some certain area, I'm going to redirect hardcore our marketing efforts, you know, videos and organic and paid and everything to the areas that we find great contractors. So I'll put more effort into those areas and hopefully that means, you know, the HVAC contractor benefits and we benefit too. So So I think this is great because there's a lot of smaller contractors out there that are looking for more jobs and they hate the sales. And I actually got a guy in Arizona. If you need somebody, uh, definitely let's talk about it. He's a great guy. You know what? hundred percent. I want to, maybe you can, maybe you can shoot me his email uh, or you can plug him online or right now, whatever you want, but yeah. taken because Phoenix, Phoenix, I'm starting to get calls in. I had to give away a job the other day. It was a boiler repair in Phoenix at, at an apartment building because I'm, I'm starting to get leads in that area. So. And here's the best thing for the listeners out there is the ancillary benefit of this is there are a lot of repairs. There are service agreements. There are certain things that I don't think Steve wants to take a piece of, Every single thing. So many people are selfish. They go, I gave you the lead. I want to own that lead for the rest of its time. And But you're just like, look, I want to make the money off the initial part of it. And then after that, it's yours. And I don't, I'm not interested in the rest. So this is amazing no, for the, the people out no, there. In fact, the, the ongoing service, I want to pay that same person to go back. Like, you don't even have to market the service the next year or the year after that. I, I want to pay them to go back and do it. So. Yeah, I mean, all together, this is a smoking deal. Everybody should get involved with this because there's also, most guys I know mess with HVAC, plumbing, electrical. So let me just ask you a couple more things, Steve. So you're, you said you were going to feed them as much knowledge as you have. Tell me a little bit about some of the things you're going to try to work with these contractors on. Well, to be honest, they mentioned this kind of early in the call, but like the biggest thing that have kind of helped me is sort of, you know, working on myself first, which probably is not a normal, usual topic to your podcast. But, you know, like I used to be the, the worst salesperson ever. I was just, I was awful. I was like sweating in sales and stuff like that. And when I kind of took a little bit of time to start, you know, and I do this like right before I go into a sale, I would actually just take a little bit of time right when I'm like full nervous, right before I walk in there, 
I would just take a moment to just ask myself, you know, what are you thinking? What's kind of going through your head? And I would be thinking crazy stuff like, you know, no, it's impossible. If I don't sell the sale, it's hopeless or whatever else. And I just sort of working with those thoughts and sort of, you know, straightening my head out a little bit, my sales started to explode. Like, you know, just in, in, cause we had a, a relentless number of leads and, and I just needed to keep selling and selling and selling them. So I think working on myself has probably benefited the business more than anything else I've, I've ever had to do. But, and beyond that, I would say from a marketing perspective, experiment and go places that other people aren't. I, I don't think the opportunity is, is where everybody else is. Like, you know, start playing with Instagram. I mean, you probably have a lot more ideas than I do towards the up and coming types of networks or what's kind of coming out there, but go where everybody else isn't or is it the cheapest marketing opportunities. I love it. Let me ask you, what are your top couple of books that you recommend? You already said feeling good was one of the ones. What, what's something else that maybe you think that would help the audience? Uh, HVAC, I like a book. It's called the uh, HVAC spells wealth. It's a nice kind of basic book about, about HVAC. A lot of it is marketing stuff. I think is a little bit outdated because it's kind of based on like the 1980s, uh, 1970s stuff. Yeah. I don't know. I, I love, I, personally, I love any sort of biography about, about anybody that's done stuff in business. I just find it so interesting. It's probably the same reason that you do, that you do the podcast. Uh, yeah. You know, I so think guys like you are. Story and, I'll tell you what. Yeah. They kind of see the perspective. Yeah. The, the other book that I absolutely love that I finished not that long ago, um, it's called principles by Ray Dalio. And, uh, basically it's an interesting thing and I applied it to my own business, uh, right near the end. And it was just, He's a, he's a billionaire. He's like in the top 25 billionaires in the States. And, and his whole concept is don't avoid your problems. Take all your problems and put them right square in front of you. And by facing your problems, those are your opportunities to improve the business. Don't fight your problems. And that, that was sort of a, that was sort of a, a turning point for me in terms of just, you know, facing problems instead of getting mad at problems. So. I love that. I, uh, I really enjoy this and I, I'm, I want to do whatever I can to get you as many people as I can. I, I know a lot of people. Oh, it's, it's amazing. It's, you know, let me just tell you this. And I think the audience needs to hear this too is I've met so many people that give without being given back. And you came on the podcast and this means a lot to me and I'd like to help you out whichever way I can. And, and what I find is doing things without expecting anything in return it comes back tenfold. And I think there's uh, a lot of verses in the Bible about that. I don't want to name any scriptures. Right now, but, <laughs> no, it does. Uh, it, it does. I've, I've seen it and uh, it's crazy. I totally wholeheartedly agree. So yeah. And anybody you got send it my way or any way that you can think of that I can help HVAC contractors. I want to do it. So I'm, I'm really excited you came on Steve. One of the things that I'd like to close up on is I want to give you an opportunity to leave the audience with any last thoughts that you might, want to share with them? I think, uh, listen to Thomas. It sounds like you really, really know what you're talking about. <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's a great tip. <laughs> and the other one is, you know, like there's, I, I would say the biggest thing that you're up against is not the market. It's not the competition. It's not all this kind of stuff. The biggest thing that you're up against is the ups and downs of business. And I wrote that for so many years, like business is doing great. I feel amazing. Business is doing bad. I feel in the toilet. And the better that you're able to regulate that, and the better that you're able to kind of get through those low points over time, the business will just keep growing and growing and growing. I find it will grow in, in relative to how well you feel about the business. I, I think is something that I discovered over the years. I love it. Well, Steve, I got to tell you, it means a lot to have you on. I think you gave a very, very strong message of you need to feel good about yourself first. And we lose that. We all say it's marketing, it's hiring, it's this. You need to look at yourself and love yourself. If you don't love yourself, how are you supposed to help other people? So I think that was very, very positive, And I truly appreciate you coming on today. Awesome. This is a ton of fun. Thank you, Thomas. Hey, guys, I really appreciate you tuning into the podcast. I wanted to let you know that my book is available right now on Amazon. It's called The Home Service Millionaire. That's homeservicemillionaire.com. Just go to the website. It'll show you exactly where and how to buy the book. I poured two years of knowledge into this book and I had 12 contributors. Everybody from the COO at Home Advisor to the CEO of Valpac and of course, Ara, the CEO of Service Titan. It tells you how to have the right mindset and become a millionaire and think like a millionaire. 
It goes into exactly how to turn on lead generation. Have those phones ringing off the hook for the customers that you want to be calling where you can make money and get great reviews. It also goes into simple things like how to attract A players. Listen, if you want a great apple pie, you need to buy good apples and you need to know where to buy those apples. And it also talks about simple things like knowing how to keep the score. You should have your financial check every week. You should know exactly what's coming in and out of your account. You should know when to cut advertising that's not working. And more than anything, you should know how to cut employees that aren't making it for you. Listen, you might have a big heart, but this book is gonna show you how to make decisions built on numbers. I hope you pick up the book and I really appreciate everything. I hope you're having a great day. Tune in next week. Thank you.